What's up, all you Strive to Movers and Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast listeners? This is your host, Dr. Justin Rabinowitz, and we have another exciting episode for you today. I interviewed Dylan D. Giovanni, who is a health coach, but only characterizing him as a health coach doesn't do it justice. Uh, I'm always respecting and respectful of people that are so open and sharing their story and their journey. And Dylan is no different. Um, He talks about his journey of how he became a health coach, his struggles growing up and, and a few other really important aspects of his life that I know you'll find interesting, especially living here in 2020. Um, it was a great podcast, and I always know we have a good podcast when I can ask a few questions and then just have a conversation, free-flowing. He's a great t- storyteller and a, and a great person that I'm so fortunate to be able to meet and interview. Enjoy. This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helped active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. Dylan, I appreciate you being here. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And so I've been on your website and looked around quite a bit, and there's a lot of layers to you know your story and what you do now, but why don't you tell the audience kind of your journey a little bit, and then we can go from there. Sure. So my journey to being a health coach um, started, I would say, with my, I had an eating disorder in high school. And um, it wasn't, I can't really say it was triggered by anything. Um, I Yeah, I'd been made fun of when I was young, but it's not like one day I was like, I'm going to stop eating. Mm -hmm. It started with a diet, and then it kind of got crazy out of control. And then decided to come back from that by myself, didn't go into a hospital or anything. And then that's what started, like, I would say healthy eating, like my interest in healthy eating. And then um, in my mid-20s, I developed really bad acne, like out of nowhere. And a health coach, I was working ironically at a health food store at the time, (laughs) um, and I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And a woman who was a health coach said, you know, she was kind enough to say, like, going on with your face you know Mm. because it was so bad and uh i said i don't really know what's going on and so we started working together and it went away i was on the prescriptions i was doing all that stuff and nothing was helping i was doing all the topical stuff and was really hopeless and she just totally made it go away and then um yeah so then years later when i had another nine to five job and i wanted something else to do i was like oh why don't i go do that thing and that's when I enrolled at the school. And that was in 2009. Okay. Yeah. And so since then, you've become a health coach full time? Yeah. Okay. yeah. I've been doing that for myself since then. Take me back to when you did have the acne. I'm sure people will be interested. What did your health coach do with you? Yeah. So she did, um, the first thing she realized was that I wasn't eating. At I th- all? I th- well, I was, but, I, you know, eating disorders are weird. I don't know if you've ever had one, no. but they're weird because they kind of defy logic. So you start to make these rules about what you can eat and when and how and why, but they don't really make sense. So at that point, I was living on canned Indian food. Okay. Indian food out of a can. <laughs> and I, like I said, I was working at a health food store. So the irony of like, I should have known better is <clears throat> just funny. And then these uh, protein bars. Okay. Like these kinds of greens-based protein bars, which wouldn't be bad if you had them once in a while, but I was like living on them. Yeah. So what was wrong was that my liver was um, toxic. Got it. It was too too highly processed foods 
for my liver. So she got me eating real food, like cooking for myself and eating real food. But what was underneath that was like, well, why was I eating like that? So she started asking me questions of like, why, like, why are you doing this? And it became clear that it was like a grief, grief and anger about a relationship. But it was, I was covering it over with like these weird eating habits. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, um, I think it's interesting because where you got to right at the end, when someone has a eating disorder or, you know, or they're heavy or they're skinny, uh, if we just focus on the nutrition, the X's and O's, so to speak, you know, the vitamins and the food, and we never get to the root cause, um, are we ever actually going to solve the problem? And it's sounding like what you're saying is, yeah, we had to fix the food I was eating, but what we really needed to fix was why I was eating it. Totally. So... How do you go about with a client kind of getting there with them? Yeah. Um, Just asking them about what they're doing. I think so many people are super afraid. You know, there's so much like that there's a right way to do something or there's a wrong way. And they bring so much fear to the sessions that I'm going to judge them or that I'm going to tell them what to do. And we honestly just, I just ask them, like, what are you doing? And asking them why, so that they're starting to get, like, critically think about their habits and, like, what's behind that, instead of telling them that what they're doing is wrong. <clears throat> and then over time, the stories just kind of come out about their, about what's going on with their motivations or their habits. Yeah. Maybe they heard something on the news and they were like, well, I thought this is what I was supposed to do. Right. Um, <clears throat> so just kind of helping them get kind of helping them see like, this is what you're doing and this is the impact it's having. What would you want to do differently? Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing like that and yeah. I've always found it interesting and in, in to simplify things in my head, I've always looked at people that may be obese or overweight and and in my head it's either, it's either a metabolic problem, an internal problem, or it's something emotionally yeah. like that's behind the scenes because Nobody would want to be like that, to be unhealthy, to feel like that, to look at themselves. And so they either have a medical condition or they have a, a something up like. And then the example I've always used is I remember in high school, the girls that were overweight never would eat lunch. I never forget that. We would sit yeah. at the lunch table and they would never eat. I never saw them eat. Mm-hmm. And again, they either had a metabolic condition or they were going home and maybe closet eaters or something like that. But I remember thinking back to that. of It was so interesting that the ones that were heavy never ate. Mm-hmm. And so, um, to your point, you know, there's a lot more layers to it than I think, you know, it's, it's not always so easy as just fixing your macros. Yeah. It's kind of fixing yourself. Totally. And totally. then you can do I that. I mean, because even, even, you know, one of the terms I learned in nutrition school kind of blew my mind because I didn't know there was a word for this. It's orthorexia and it's people who become so obsessed with eating healthy that that actually becomes an eating disorder. So there's all kinds of different ways, right? Like I was in high school, my eating disorder was starving myself. Mm-hmm. And then I've never known overeating, really. Um, but but yeah, there's all kinds of different ways. But then super, you know, getting super into healthy eating to the point that you can't even have some ice cream, and if, even if you wanted to, yes. that's also not a healthy way to be either. Right. And But I would say as someone who's been coaching for so long and someone who had one, um, I think it's always the under same underlying stuff. Right. No matter what the symptoms are, you know, like no matter how it's presenting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's it's stuff going on in life, like uh, lack of love, boredom, um, unfulfilling career, mm-hmm. uh, family stuff. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, 
in your in your career, how do you deal with that? Um, do you have to refer out a lot if you think it's very serious or more like, hey, this is kind of out of my league? Or is it most of the times you're able to help people work through some of these? You know, we're talking pretty serious things here. Yeah. Most of the time, yes. There was one client that I had early on who was being hospitalized for an eating disorder by her family because yeah. she was a minor. And I said to her, she said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go in. I just want to work with you. And I said, I, that's not something I can do. If your parents are trying, you know, they think that you should do this. So what I promised her, though, was if she could arrange a way to call because she was doing inpatient, if she could arrange to call me, we could still do the sessions while she was doing that. Mm -hmm. And that felt appropriate for me. Okay. Um, and what was, it was, she's one of my biggest success stories because I remember, forget when she got on the call and she was like, Okay, I get it now from just having a few sessions with me. Mm -hmm. She said, it's not that I don't want to eat here. It's that the food they're feeding us is crap. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. You know, she's like, I, I actually do want to eat now. I just don't want to eat what they're giving us. And I was like, well, then put on the weight, get out of there. Yeah. And then let's work on what you want to eat. Right. And that's to this day. That's what she's doing. So it's awesome. Do you find athletics or play a big role? In what you work with, I mean, I used to be the I used to work with Rutgers gymnastics, women's gymnastics in college, and we always that was always a thing that we were concerned with, you mm. know, because these girls need to be a certain weight to be able to compete, mm. um, and they come from diverse backgrounds, and some of them had backgrounds where they were homeschooled and they get to college, and there was a lot of layers to it. Um, but nutrition and sports can be very helpful, but it can also be detrimental. So, how does maybe performance? what someone needs to do affect, you know, how, how you coach them? I've never dealt with um, that kind of uh, demographic, mm -hmm. to be honest. Uh, I think I had a few, actually, I had a few clients who were, you know, really wanting to perform. And one client, he was doing um, competitive bike, uh, cycling. Yeah. And he was finding um, he couldn't make his weight that he wanted to be at because he was eating in the middle of the night. Mm. So I was like, well, what's going on with eating in the middle of the night? Like, why are you doing that? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, what is it? You know, we just kind of spent some sessions on it. And then yeah. I don't, to be honest, remember even what he said, but it was just like, he just stopped doing it. Right. But right. he just needed someone outside of his family. You right. know? But that that's what was keeping the extra weight on. He yeah. was just waking up in the middle of the night and like clearing out the cabinets. So I think maybe what it was, come to think of it, was that he was working out so hard he was hungry, but he wasn't eating meals but then his body was just like i'm starving yes. i can't sleep you know so it was just helping him shift like if you're hungry eat right <laughs> you right. know yeah that makes sense yeah um so on your website i did see you have a lot of of talks and you've done a lot of public speaking you know what are some of the topics that that you've found and, and i do public speaking as well and i always say i hope it's useful for the audience but it's useful for me yeah what are the topics that you like to talk about what message do you like to share with people yeah. in that setting the biggest one is just being yourself. I think there is so much um, so much social pressure to conform and to be like everybody else. And what I've definitely learned from coaching, because the, the sessions are private, they're, um, you know, no one's listening. And the things that people have confessed to me and told me in those sessions, it breaks my heart because they're just, it just, I made me realize like how many people are like carrying around secrets or living secret lives. Can you give examples of that? Uh, yeah. I mean, a client came um, and she didn't fill out on her kind of what we call a health history form what was going on. She just said she wanted to lose weight. And she was really quiet in the first few sessions. And 
I was like, you know, what is keeping the weight on this person? Like, I can't figure it out. She was eating better than me at that point and exercising more than me at that point in my life. And uh, she finally said, oh, well, I eat like Kind Bars and Luna Bars. And from working in Whole Foods, I knew that those are really high in sugar. And I was like, well, how many eating are you eating a day? She's like, oh, like 10. And I was like, whoa, what's going on with all that sugar? And I love sugar, so I knew. And um, so it turns out she wanted to get a divorce. But every time she tried to tell somebody that in her life, mm -hmm. they were like, well, you can't get a divorce. You're Catholic. You can't get a divorce. What about your kids? So she kept getting judged. So she was compensating with all that sugar, you know? Right. And so that didn't come out until like our fourth or fifth session together. Right. And then, then that's when I was like, okay, cool. How can I help you do that? <laughs> yeah. And But she didn't write that initially, probably sure. because she had been silenced by so many people and was just like, they had been living like that. They had been married for 12 years and they'd been living like that for seven of the 12 years mm -hmm. on opposite floors of the house. Right. Like not speaking. Right. And, and nobody would have known. Right. Yeah. And I think if it was easy, we all would just, oh, that's easy. Just you were not happy in your marriage and you're going to gain weight. The, I, we always talk about in here, one of the things, if we could just, we have to get that out of people because we're all irrational beings. We all are, yeah. you know, and, and we need sometimes we need people to put the pieces together for us a yeah. little bit. So a lot of times I think even with us too in here and, and finding out what people's why is, yeah. getting to the deeper inside of it by sometimes just asking questions the right way or being in an environment that they're happy to share with. Um, right. And it sounds like the way that, you know, your, your manner with people allows them to kind of get there with you sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think one of the things with being a health coach or a nutritionist or anything in that realm is a lot of people, I think, are afraid to take the leap to go use that service because the people that are doing that service project like they're on Instagram with like a nine pack and it's intimidating mm -hmm. and it's almost like you're probably better off if you want to build a clientele to not be that person. Yeah. Um, Cause I guess it's good to work with someone that's got a six or a nine pack, but a lot of people would never show up because of that. Yeah. I mean, do you find almost sometimes even being more relatable in the sense of you've kind of gone through it yourself, do you find that helps you uh, with clients sometimes? It does sometimes. This is and this is a great question because it's, uh, it's something I give a lot of thought to. <clears throat> I totally agree with you that there's this like paradigm right now of, you know, this perfect social media thing and and then people even buying followers to look more successful. Sure. When I realized that that was a thing, I was just like, that's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then and that people don't know that that's a thing. So they see that these people have all these followers and they equate that with the people being skilled. Sure. Which is not the same thing. Um, but I think about this a lot because sometimes the more honest or vulnerable I am, it actually makes people leave comments where they're like pitying me. Mm. They're, they're like totally misinterpreting the mm. vulnerability being about that relatability. And um, whereas other people are like, oh my gosh, thank you for saying that. You're so much more relatable now. That's a tricky one for me mm -hmm. uh, because. Um, so how do you how do you kind of battle that? What do, yeah, what do you I do? battle. That's a word. Is that the, that's exactly what I do? Uh, and sometimes if I put up a post and I'm like, okay, I've been so clear that this is what this is. There's no way people could misinterpret. And then people do it anyway with the comments. Sometimes I just delete the post because it like drives me a little nuts, <laughs> you know. Um, but. And I just continue to battle with that. And I just see other people posting stuff that isn't really saying much of anything and getting a lot of 
response. Yeah, so I think I'm just bad at social media. I'm like, because I, I can't play that game. Yeah. I, I just can't. So I just leave it to doing, meeting people and mm -hmm. doing in-person things where people, mm -hmm. that filter isn't there. Sure. And that's really where I find my success, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Um, and so at this point, you've been coaching for what, about 10 years? 11, yeah. What was your previous career? Uh, before that, well, I started teaching eighth grade in New Jersey. Okay. So eighth grade social studies. All right. And then worked as a, um, uh, an office director for a national nonprofit. Okay. That's what brought me to Boston for a few years. So what doing like curriculum and programming and event planning. What happened with the teaching? No good? No, no fun? To be honest, uh, the teaching was great. The kids were rad. Uh, the, and, and the administration, this was back in 2002, 2003, uh -huh. um, different times back then. I was having lunch and uh, an administrator came in when my team and I were eating lunch together. And she was like, she picks up a piece of paper and she goes, so which are the swishy kids this year? So they were basically, it was a total homophobic uh, thing where they were like making fun of the gay kids. And I was sitting there and nobody, I was not, I was still kind of not out about myself as a person. And so I was just sitting there eating peanut butter and jelly. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe they're making fun of these kids. They're 13. What would they say about me? And that's when I quit. Is that right? That I got quit. you. Yeah. I like, was 24 and gotcha. I was just a few months shy of tenure. And I was like, that's, that's why I left. They didn't know because I didn't tell anybody. Sure. But I was like, yeah, I'm going to go do something else. Right. Yeah. Right. So on that, and we talked briefly before, I actually think what you told me before we started recording is, is incredible. Um, tell us a little about your journey and, and why you don't want it to be the center where we specifically didn't start with that. But I think the way you spoke about it before is actually incredible and super respectful. So tell me, tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah. So I was coming out, I thought in 2003 about my identity. I mean, about my sexuality, I thought I was like, I was dating a woman at the time. People perceived me that way, but I was like, I don't really feel like this. So I just kind of kept going through that. And then, gosh, it wasn't until 2012 that I finally, when I was living in Boston, because I was in New Jersey and there wasn't really a lot of diversity of mm -hmm. sexuality. There was like, you were either a gay person or a lesbian, you know? So I was like, I don't really know. And then I went up to Boston. There's like a whole lot more diversity. And I decided I was going to transition my gender identity. And people still confuse gender identity and sexual orientation, like who you're attracted to versus how you identify and present to the world. Are they totally? Totally different things. Okay. Yeah, totally different things. Um, but so, but yeah, so I it explained my confusion, you know, because I was like attracted to women, but I didn't feel like that, you know, but I didn't know what transgender was. We didn't have that as a thing. So, um, and it's so much more a thing now, which is awesome. But like we were talking about, what's been challenging for me as a person is when I transitioned, I just wanted to do it for me. Sure. I was like, I already have my business up and running, super successful. I was killing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had like a YouTube thing before the influencer thing even started, you yeah. know. And then when I transitioned, it was like at this crucial period in history and time where people thought I was now going to be that. Yeah. And talk about that all the time and work with those people. And I tried so hard to do that. Because I thought that's what people wanted. Yeah. And I thought I should. It was like this sense of guilt or yeah. obligation. But my transition for me was so traumatic because I was like, my family stopped speaking to me. The person I was dating bailed. It was so hard and so bad. I was like, you know, I actually can't talk about this for a living. Like, because I'm going through it as a person. Right. Like, I just need to be a health coach. I just need to have a career yeah. and not be talking about my life. So 
but uh, it was hard because it still persists to this day. That stigma. Right. Yeah. And it's I think it's incredible because it's almost would be easy, easier to do the opposite to just talk about it and, and probably all the followers and all the other things would go up. Right. If yeah, you use that right. as your kind of as your thing, um, as your shtick, for lack of a better term. So but that's I think it's incredible that you that you had that. But it speaks to, I think, more so you as a individual to like specifically say, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And I did this for me right. and I'm still my career is still the same, you know, so I still have my career. Yeah. Um, I think that's awesome. It's funny because you're the second person recently to say that. Like, I can't tell you how many people were just like, dude, just like it's low hanging fruit. Just do it. And I was like, but I'm exploiting myself and I don't want to do that. You know, and so it was this ironic. So thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that because yeah. it took a lot of work to resist that mm -hmm. and to not let people put me into that box. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, hold on, wait, that's the magic thing. Everyone gets put into a box. Mm -hmm. Everyone deals with this feeling of being perceived a certain way or told what they could be. And here I am basically saying, don't do that to me to in inspire people of all identities, to right. not let anyone do that to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I, but, I, boo, it took a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've always kind of said with all, um, I don't even know how to politically correct saying this. I've always said that, you know, I'm a big football fan. Well, they always talk about getting like black coaches to become head coaches or we talked about maybe having a woman president and i'm always like can we get to a point where that isn't a thing like we get right. beyond the point that it is a thing but it almost has to be a thing before it can't be a thing totally right you're you totally know? right and i knew i just had to ride that wave yeah. you know i was like if i put myself yeah if i if i just do this right and i let people say this is all i am once this burns out once this isn't like a cool thing or a fad i'm gonna be obsolete because that's what I'm going to be known for, right? So I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to be obsolete. I want to yeah. be around. Right. So yeah, totally. But you're right. We have to be there before we cannot be there. Right. Yeah. Um, on a, if you, if you don't mind me asking, on a health from a health perspective, just from a medical perspective, transition wise, have you noticed? Are there things that, um, like you know, health wise, have changed, transition, are very challenging for you because of it, lasting effects or anything like that, as you made like hormonal changes and things of that nature. And the reason why I ask is because I've had a patient in the past that, um, that transitioned and I, not that we didn't know. I don't know if anyone knows. He tore his ACL on the same side four times in a row. Hmm. And the idea hmm. was that his body wasn't just able to accept the graft. Potentially, potentially, because no one knows. Hmm. And then and then I saw him a couple years later and then he developed a goiter on his thyroid. Hmm. And so were these other health things that were kind of popping up, but it was very this was this was this was almost ten years ago. Hmm. And so I, I'm now I'm interested in that. And I also spoke with a professor at Rutgers who um, he's he transitioned as well. And I asked him about this and what he told me was that the thing that people don't take into account is like hormonal levels before. He's like some if you were a female with higher maybe testosterone and you transition the trend the, it's not a big jump one way or the next but he said if, if it was maybe you were very low testosterone as a female and you transition to a male potentially that's where we're seeing because it's such a drastic change mm -hmm. again i 
I was interested in because I had a patient of, of that uh, that way, and he kind of told me, Have, do you know anything about any of this? There's two things that I guess I would say. The first is that this is such this is so new still, and so many physicians. And man, I really learned that moving back home to New Jersey after living in New England because I transitioned up in Boston, mm-hmm. where they've like state of the art care, mm-hmm. and because this is much more of a thing. And coming back here, it was like coming back to like a third world third world country <laughs> because they were like, we don't know what to do. And I was like, what? Yeah. It's like how can you not? So there's so much that people don't know. Yeah. So there's this like. You know, we're like guinea pigs. You know, we're like Petri dishes. No one really knows what to do with us, right, yeah. as far as, like, what levels are appropriate or whatever. So there's there's a lot of that. Um, personally, anything that, you know, anything that I could say I noticed, if anything, was how the muscle, like my muscle and my connective tissue changed mm-hmm. and how that affected my gait, hmm. how that affected my, like, running, you know, things like that. It's like... I've got tendons and like even like the muscles in my jaw, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's like your face changed. I'm like, no, it's actually the muscles in my jaw got mm-hmm. thicker from the testosterone, you know, so like you, your body literally morphs mm-hmm. and you don't know if you've got an ache or you've got something, you know, like it's kind of pulling your whole system right out. I don't know if it's any different than if anyone started like really working out. Yeah. Um, but that that is something that's super re- real and weird to adjust to. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the balance of hormones, even for myself, I just came from a doctor's appointment and I'm generally healthy, but I've always, my, my sugar level has been elevated. And one of the things that she was saying was the interplay between your testosterone and your like insulin resistance. So like for men, my doctor was saying that for men that don't have as high testosterone, sometimes they struggle with sugar being too high and females the opposite. Hmm. And so from a biochemistry hmm. standpoint, it's insane how deep you can go. Um, how one affects the other, affects the other, affects the other. And you know, obviously going through school, I took biochemistry, but you know, at the basic surface level. Yeah. Um, and but, how many people don't know, how many people who aren't trans don't know about their hormones? Sure. That's been an eye opener. Yes. You know, people don't, they don't think. Right. You know, they, they just think I'm normal and they don't even have an idea of what, especially men, you yes. know, and how hormones affect mental health. Right. That's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm about to go do a cortisol test. The doctor, she's like, how do you do with stress? And I'm like, generally pretty calm. And she's like, okay, but that doesn't mean your cortisol. You might just be good at dealing with it. Right. Um, but the interplay between you can think about, well, I'm stressed at work and that might be affecting my sugar. Like someone then someone would be like, what the hell does that even mean? Like you ate a Kit Kat, that'll affect your sugar. But there's way more at play than that. Totally. Um, and there's such a, a good rabbit hole that you can go down to really try to get some of this stuff, you know, in order for people. Um, what do you find in your coaching now? Do you see like the most common things that you see? Like what are the, like the, the standard? Like for me as a chiropractor, we see low back pain. We mm-hmm. see people that don't really know how to use their abs well. And we see people that maybe don't have the mobility that they have. What are some of the common things that you see as a health coach? Um, right now, uh, stress, definitely stress, like coping skills people not having coping skills, people not having, um, you know, and, and really trying, thinking, we're seeing this as a trend, but like meditation, not being about being a Buddhist, even though I am one, you know, but like really just being able to just breathe and slow down. Mm-hmm. So like time management, stress, um, nutrition, with all the information out there, people still, they still think that like eating isn't something that your body actually needs. They don't understand that it's not just like eating because it tastes good, but like 
the importance of vitamins and nutrients mm -hmm. and you know eating like not like like yeah and sleep people still not sleeping um kind of cheating being like oh i just wanted to stay up well, but you, your body like they don't i think a lot of people just don't understand the biological impact the physiological impact of their choices right um that and then people really struggling with like who am i there's a lot of that right now like identity like who am i like i don't want to just have a job i mm -hmm. want to have like purpose mm -hmm. and either people hitting that awareness like midlife crisis like what have i done with my life mm -hmm. um or these millennials like younger generations now being like completely motivated by purpose and not just wanting a paycheck right um so that mostly those things and how does it play out in you know with the clients you work with that comes does that come in the form of someone wanting to lose weight and you eventually get there or will they actually come to you with these kind of crises more the latter uh people are already super clear about what they want to change mm -hmm. they just know that they need somebody to help them figure it out but yeah. i think asking for help is still a tricky thing either they're intimidated like you said you know because the person looks too perfect yeah or just that feeling of I've had so many clients, but you wouldn't really know it because mine is different because people don't necessarily want to brag that they've had to ask for help. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. they're not going to be like, this coach changed my life. You should go see him because yes. they're going to be worried about what people think. Yes. Why do you need a coach? You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. The, um, the and same thing for us with because doctor's office with HIPAA, you know, there's a lot of people that we'd love to share their stories, but they don't want them shared. Right. Um, where they would be able to help someone else, but that's obviously their prerogative. And so we've got to respect that. But yeah. I'm sure you see it as well. It's like yeah. um, you see you're in front of somebody, you're like, I helped 10 people just like you. I just can't tell you about them. Totally. You know, and it happens, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, where do you, do you have an office? Do you see, where do you see clients? Right now I'm all virtual. I was moving around so much mm -hmm. that I just moved everybody virtual and wasn't really sure when I moved back here that I was going to stay. I still go up to Boston for work. Yeah. And it's like as soon as I drive into the city, I'm just like, oh, it's huh. so different. Or even New York, you know. I yeah. Think it's, I think it's just concentration of population. It's interesting, um, you know, being around here. And then obviously we have an office in Berkeley Heights, which is on the train line. And I always kind of look at the people at our summit, Berkeley Heights location. They're basically New Yorkers. And I laugh a lot of times when we look at our online demographics because we get, I, every time I look, it's like New York City. I'm like, wait a second, we don't, not in New York City, but it's like people live, they're like New Yorkers where they just happen to live in New Jersey. Do you have any specific message that our audience, um, I know you've mentioned a few things about, you know, being yourself or, or looking for, but what would, you, if you could share a message with an audience that you want them to know, what what is that message specifically? Hmm, that's a good question. just think that I think a lot of what folks deal with with uh, I, I guess yeah I think a powerful message that I don't really hear anyone saying but I really feel passionately about right now is <clears throat> specifically around how we're labeling mental illness okay and how much of that is it's so complicated and it's and so many people are dealing with the symptoms of it and there's still so much stigma around it but things like sleep and water and the right food and the right people in your life mm. so dramatically change your experience of those symptoms. Yeah. It's so fixable. It's so treatable. It's so solvable if people just um, practice those new habits. I mean, that's totally what helped me through the hardest part of my life. Mm -hmm. um, stuff that I didn't know before how easy it was. Mm -hmm. And so 
ju and just it doesn't have to be like these massive overhauls. You don't have to suddenly start to become a marathon runner or suddenly only eat kale. You know, just like these small little things make such a difference in how you feel. Yeah. Which then makes you feel like you can actually be yourself in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, like the physical health and the mental health. There's like such a connection. No, I, I appreciate you saying that. And um, one of the things that's important to me here at our at our at our company, we're only you know four full time team members right now. But and you can ask these guys. It's been so the number one thing that we talk about is mindset. That's it, you know, and, and I told Hannah this yesterday, like, I want to create a culture where, like, that's it. Like, we start there. And if we start there, everything else will work itself out. Like, I love the fact that Hannah said yesterday to me that Ashton and his wife are doing this. Well, what exactly are they doing? They're doing a daily journal with habits in it. And they've done it, like, every day yeah, since the new year. Night, yeah, have to write right. something down. It's 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 basically like a, a a nice thing to do. At, they're doing it as a couple. They're about to get married. And Hannah said, "I'm like pissed at myself because you gave me a book to read and I didn't even have ten minutes to read it." And I was like, "That's awesome because now you feel like well, someone else here is doing that." And that's the culture that we have. To your point about the people you're surrounded with, I've done. You might appreciate this. We've been doing some more talks in schools, and I've been doing teacher appreciations and things like that. And the stark contrast of getting around some of some people like in that setting, some of the teachers of like when they're the norm of like, oh, my God, like, I don't think I could be around these people all day. Like it is miserable. And, and I feel for them. I had a lady last week. She's like, oh, I just, you know, can't wait for retirement. <laughs> I said, oh, when are you going to retire? She's like in eight years. I'm like, oh, God, I know. like I know. this is the life that you have for the next decade. And um, and and I always tell these guys like appreciate what we're building here and what we have because it is just it, it could be so bad like when you get in a culture or or a work environment where you're surrounded by people that are miserable you can't help but be unhappy totally you know? totally and so much of that is in society right now and it's just the solution is right there right within them but they think it's outside yeah and it it breaks my heart it honestly does because yeah. it, it's like so simple but right. It, it's not until you know it. Yeah. So, yeah. And and a lot of it that we work on is the the world around you won't change. Like you have to change. They always totally. say that. Always say that because, like, I look at something like Twitter personally. I think it's entertaining and I love it. But there's so many people who are like, oh, Twitter this. I'm like, but maybe it's just how you're looking at it. Like I look at it to see who the Jets signed in free agency, and that's great for me. Right. But I could see if you look at it differently. Um, how horrible it is and there's obviously positives and negatives to it um, but even things like you see we don't have the tv on here because who wants to watch the news like oh my god that's a horrible place to be in the world and and a lot of it what you're what you're surrounding yourself with what the habits you create and um you know the people you surround yourself with so i mean i, I think that's a great message i appreciate that sure. um where can people find you uh, my website is the best place <clears throat> it's my name dylan djivani.com spell it because we'll yeah. put in the show notes but d-i-l-l-a-n d-i-g-i-o-v-a-n-n-i -N -N -I. cool and instagram perfect honestly. i can't be on facebook anymore yeah, you yeah. know it's just these things changed so much sure but, and it's okay you know? yeah but instagram is where i have the most fun mm -hmm. and um yeah the website is there any I, I did see a lot of different speeches and talks you've done are there any specifically if someone was going to start with something that you've done where they should start or uh, my first TEDx talk I felt really proud of I have two videos that I have to edit to get up I did one at the Fast Company Festival in New York cool. uh, a couple a few months ago so I have to still edit that mm -hmm. get that up um, 
but uh yeah i was trying the youtube thing for a little while but it just wasn't i got you just wasn't my thing but yeah there's some videos up on my site perfect so um dylan this was great Thank I you. really appreciate uh, what you said, and I, I appreciate kind of the humbleness, but more so seems like at this point you're very self-aware. That's the like the good, the bad, and, and how you've kind of come through it and see, like, I could do this, but maybe I shouldn't. And I, I significantly personally appreciate your approach to it. So I think that's great, and uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com slash ourservices. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and CrossFit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the Talk to the Doctor First button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast.